Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Welcome to the Kudzu Vine for December 23rd, 2018. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Joining me as always, welcome Catherine Smith. Greetings from Atlanta. And welcome Tim Shiflett. Good evening, sir. All right, good to have you all on on, I guess, this Christmas Eve Eve. If we're ever on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, we have problems but Christmas Eve Eve sounds seems to be okay for us. So um, even getting a guest, got a great one tonight, Lachlan McIntosh from South Carolina, and the Palmetto State is always active, and uh, they got uh, several stories in the news, and we're going to talk to Lachlan about those about 30 minutes into the show. Uh, but until then, um, that one little city that we call our nation's capital does not slow down, even when it shuts down. Uh, but before we get to the shutdown, um, to me, in a lot of ways, a bigger and possibly much more scary long-term story was um, the Secretary of Defense, James Mattis, resigned. And it's not just that he resigned and, and, and you know he has a military background and is more qualified than many people in the Trump administration. It was the manner and the reasons in which he resigned, to me, that are far more troublesome. Um, Tim, kind of what were your thoughts on the way this happened, you know, pretty abruptly? Yeah, it did. I I think that Mattis for a long, long, long time figured that he could do some good by staying there and keeping Trump from doing something just totally off the wall. Um, I think that probably worked when him and Kelly and and earlier Tillerson kind of had the situation bracketed in. Is that a good way to put it? Uh, it, They they had disagreement between all of them that, you know, one of us will always be in Washington. We'll make sure we keep our eye on things so that he just don't issue some crazy executive order, go off the reservation or something like that uh finally uh what trump did with syria was the last straw um you you know the the deal with the kurds over there and 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 mattis just you know with his military bearing he said you know you don't you don't desert a friend on, on the field of battle like that abruptly and he, you know, you saw the resignation letter, and he just pretty much told Trump, maybe it's time you found somebody that uh, agrees with you on this stuff. So uh, that's that's too bad. I, the last adult in the room, someone put it, has left. Um, and, and, of course, you know, uh, Brett McGurk, who was a liaison on, on ISIS, uh, he he also uh he also resigned in protest. So this is this is uh more chaos to pile on, more kindling for the fire. This 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 is this is pretty serious and it caught his own uh, caught his own uh, party by total surprise too and there's just a lot of unhappy people in Washington right now. Yeah, and we'll get to some more of the stuff, but um, let's continue to cover this properly. Um, Catherine, you know, James Mattis, we've heard that he um, really puts the uh, military people first more so than, you know, the government officials. And Lumpel said he stayed on because of the people under him, not the person above him, because he's kind of had some reservations for a while. But he didn't mince words in that uh, resignation letter, did he? No, he did not. And 
I think the obviously the growing concern is that now there's no one uh, available to advise him. I mean, to, to advise the president, at least before that he had these three experienced uh, diplomats. Or you know, or actually experienced military people—not three, but two. Um, but now there's no one there. He, he may not have their guidance, but at least they were there if he needed them. But now there's no one, um, and he clearly, the president clearly doesn't have the um, vision or foresight or um, experience to make good judgments about our military um, placement around the world. So it's, it's, it's a growing concern. And I, I mean, I get, you know, people are saying on the talk shows this morning, they're saying, well, the president deserves to have someone whose um, views align with his. Okay. But who is that? Who are those people? There aren't very many people that have any experience that align with his views because, He's wrong about so much, so it's a uh, it's scary actually to me. So, what do you think, David? Well, and and you know he deserves to have somebody that aligns with his views until you find out that he really does he have any views or will he right, listen exactly. to people at all? I mean, I, I got the idea that you know President Obama was not by no means a military expert. And while he might not have gone in saying, yes, I'm going to be the most hawkish person in the world, I think he did with his worldview still listen to the military advisors. And there's probably a lot of presidents of both parties that have done this. And if you know Donald Trump said, you know, I really don't know a lot about military matters, um, but I'm going to have a view of, yes, America is going to be strong and tough, but I'm going to listen to my advisors, um, that's at least a – you know, a uh, rationale, and I think that's missing. I mean, Tim, why is Donald Trump wanting to pull the forces out of these two places so abruptly? I mean, you may could say, hey, we've been in some of these places for so long. Let's come up with some type of drawdown strategy over time, and we've had some of those over the time as well. But, okay, we want a further drawdown strategy, but this seems pretty abrupt. In some places, this is going to be half the troops um, – you know, about as quickly as you can pack. I mean, what's Trump's um, theory here? Well, it, it, I, I don't know if it's as much a theory as it's a practice. He does things abruptly. I mean, look at look at some of the other news going on, and you can see that he pretty much um, does things on the fly. Uh, he, but he'd been wanting to do this for a long time, and basically was was talked out of it by General Mattis, but this time he did it and didn't even consult General Mattis or apparently anyone else at the Pentagon. Donald Trump wants people around him who are totally loyal to him and who do not question his directives. Uh, he he does not want to, to be presented with uh, alternatives. He 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 wants what he wants, and he wants it now, and he thinks that's fine, so let's do it. I don't know who who convinced him, by the way, that the war against ISIS was over and that they were defeated. Who who convinced him of that? I, I, I haven't been able to put my finger on that one. I, I, I don't know where he would have even gotten such a thing unless he just thought it up and said, okay, we've won, let's, let's you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what to tell you. I think yeah, and I think I read today that is claiming victory, Catherine. I think a lot of it is just he's trying to distract everyone from the wall. You know, he doesn't want to talk well, about the wall, so he'll just do other do other things to – to distract well, attention. He does have a habit of trying to change the news cycle by mm-hmm. doing something spectacular during that same news cycle. Well, 
I tell you what, when, you know, they're in the middle of talking about a government shutdown, which, you know, was another sudden move of his. The, the coverage is not going that well. The news cycle is not going that well. The stock market is, is just in a free fall. Buddy, he certainly changed uh he certainly changed the narrative there with, with this uh resignation, didn't he? Well he didn't do it well, well I mean, he has but, in the past. I mean it is still a big talking point, the shutdown and um you know, the other items. So so he he wasn't as successful as he's been in the past. Well, and I think now it's he's getting criticized by both sides on a lot of, di- of these different issues. Um, so, therefore, it, did he distract a little bit? Yes, but he actually made another. It's like he, he had a dumpster fire and he just caught another one on fire. Well, which one do we look at? Which one do we put out first? They're both dumpster fires. I mean, it's just it's really no plan. I mean, he's got the stock market that may go more into free fall. We're reading Mnuchin's trying to. Beg everybody not to sell off. You got the government shutdown. You got his new chief of staff that, um, you know, criticized uh, so many things about him, his moral character, his wall idea, everything else. And you've got him putting the um, American military in some peril in certain theaters. And so all of it's bad. I mean, at least if you weren't good at everything, you could find something you're good at and execute it well. Instead, he's got a full ring circus. And the elephants are crapping everywhere. You know, um, he perhaps has been feeling since the midterm election results especially became apparent uh, that the walls are beginning to close in on him a little bit. And this is just how he reacts by lashing out inch and imaginable uh, and none of it making any sense. Donald Trump has not had to face the type of intense pressure and the growing amount of problems that he is now facing as presidents. Other presidents are prepared for this sort of thing, both by temperament and training. This president is not. Maybe he's just losing it a little bit, guys, because for the he doesn't really seem to have a handle on things, even for Donald Trump right now, does he? I mean, he doesn't seem yeah, to have a, a handle on anything. Yeah, there's a no, lot of not at all. there. Like this morning on um, this week, Mulvaney was on, and usually when the you know chief of staff or any any like cabinet or cabinet level that kind of person is on they usually focus on one thing right they'll say like well this week you know we have the 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 government shutdown so they talk about that well this morning it was like a whole laundry list he's like you know he started to say something Mm -hmm. and uh who it wasn't stephanopoulos this morning whoever it was said oh well we're gonna get to that in a minute but let's finish this i mean (laughs) they must have gone through like five different really important you know topics so i mean he's got to feel like you said, he's got to feel the climbing, um, and his. We know that he is not um, very uh, poised, and when it comes to being under pressure, yeah. he's not. Yeah. He's not the guy to go to when you're when there's pressure. Well, David, is this is this a is, is this a good angle that Catherine and I are? are coming up with here that that he has just never faced this type of intense pressure and he just frankly is failing on all fronts to to handle it so the only way he knows how to handle it's just to lash out almost incoherently yeah i mean because he has like you said no governmental training and then he doesn't want to surround himself with people that know about government um and so he's just handicapping himself lost by not listening he, to any kind of advisors. Um, you know, he's John, lost them all. Yeah, yeah he runs them off um, with his personality. Yeah. Do you remember Bob yeah. Kerry? When he ran for president, he talked a lot about health care, and they called him Johnny One Note. Well, yeah. right now we've got Donnie No Note because he's not, he doesn't have anything <laughs> that he's competent at. Um, I mean, because you can't. 
you know, come up with, you know, sleight of hand realist deals as a way to run the government. I mean, so therefore his big skill, the the big real estate deal, flipping some property, is just not a skill in government. Um, you know. And so he's left with nothing. I, I, I'm sitting here laughing, and what, what you said was amusing, but at, at the same time, I, I'm really, really, really worried. Now, look at this administration. Who can, you know, just political people like us point to and say, okay, if worse comes to worse, this guy or this lady right here, they got this. Can we? I can't think of anybody suddenly in his inner circle that we can point to and, and, and say with assurance that this person could handle the worst thing that comes down the pike. I, 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 they're all gone. Uh, it's scary. Yeah, I mean, well, you, know, you, you kind of wonder if are we going to hear that the next Secretary of Defense is going to be somebody off of Fox and Friends? I mean, that's <laughs> right. who he's people that he sees on TV. I, I don't know who he sees on TV with a military background because hopefully he didn't watch G.I. Joe cartoons. Um, Catherine? Yeah, well, I've said for a long time, you know, probably my whole life, uh, since I've thought about politics, that one of the key uh, most important things about um, a political leader, a president or a mayor or a governor or even even senators and congresspeople and, and local leaders is that they be, are able to select good advisors to surround them that um, are come from all different places, whether they're from the military or corporate or higher education or uh, wherever they, the nonprofit world, so that they can get a good perspective on all the issues. Well, and I think we've seen uh, presidents in our past that have, have done exactly that. I think going back to Nixon and uh, Johnson and, and uh, Carter, all through Clinton, even the Bushes, I think, you know, they surrounded themselves with smart people who could advise them. But this president, I mean, there's nobody, I mean, who's going to do it? Like, not only is there no one there, but who's going to sign up for it? I mean, look at how hard it was for him to find a chief of staff, which is not really a, you know, political no. job. I mean, it's, a, it's not really an, ad, I mean, it is an advisory job, but of all trades to be a chief of staff. But I, I don't know. I just feel like he, he really didn't find a chief of staff. He just moved someone from another position and said, okay, until I find a chief of staff, you're the acting chief of staff. He went down the list of people nobody wants the job. Certainly none of the people that you were just talking about, Catherine, the A-list people that we've been used to no. say, I don't know, a Dr. Rice that, that, that Bush Jr. had. Uh, I, I couldn't stomach Dick Cheney, but he knew how government operates. Uh, these The A-listers do not want to sign up for the jobs now, and I just don't know where he's going to find quality people or even at this point if he wants to find quality people. I, I, I Man, it's, I know I've said a hundred times I ain't never seen nothing like this, and nobody has, but at a certain point, you just run out of adjectives to describe what what you're seeing here. Um, describe yeah, it, David. and I will say what <laughs> this really, I mean, kind of um, is a flaw in our federal government because if this were a state, there would be a recall election, or if this were a parliamentary parliamentary system, this would be, there'd be a vote of no confidence at this point. Um, you know he gets he's going to get his full four year term, barring whatever um, Robert Mueller comes up with. But I mean, there's no way for America to really self correct on this. And, and I'm not saying because I no. do think, you know, we had we had um, um, the author of How Democracies Die on a few weeks ago, uh, Stephen Levetsky, and. I really believe if you were to put in a recall election or you would put a vote of no confidence in, then in our current political environment, every, the other party would just be doing it left and right. 
But Donald Trump is really a special exception because of how underqualified he is. I mean, and really, um, I still cannot fathom how, with the Republican Party having 16 candidates, they picked very likely the 16th most qualified. I mean, definitely the 14th or 15th most qualified. I mean, they had at least 10 people. Um, that were more qualified for this job, and somehow they went with this individual. So really, I think the party uh, primary system um, needs to get looked at, um, how somebody can escape through and, and take out people that are sitting senators and sitting, you know, former governors of large states that are far more competent, competent um, people uh, in any field. Let's, let's move on to uh, Mick Mulvaney. Um, He's the chief of staff, but then Donald Trump has already soured on him because of those comments that came <laughs> out about how he didn't think the wall was a real solution. It was juvenile. He also said he was a you know low moral character. Um, Catherine, is this relationship over before it starts? Well, he actually responded to that today on um, this week. Um, they played that clip where he said that. What did he say? What, did he say it was low moral character or something like that? And he said, yeah. well, you know, I didn't really – that was before the primary was over, and I was supporting another candidate, and now, you know, oh. I've worked with him for two years, and we've worked closely together, and he understands what was happening then. Well, I mean, it was all, like, amazing spin. The guy obviously had been coached about how to answer it. So, I mean – I think the truth was what he, he what he said was his truth, but now he's got to you know backpedal because I mean why did he take the position? That's my question. Like he he's at R&B. Like why not say that? I, I, I rather think he was told to take the position if the truth be known, but uh, you know we don't we don't know. Oh yeah. Yeah, I, probably what he did is he took the cabinet out to eat at some establishment that has the little light-up coasters, and they passed it around, and whenever <laughs> their table was called, whoever was holding the coaster got the job, and that was Mick Mulvaney. Um, that might be my theory. Uh, well, let's talk about you, you come in as chief of staff, and, and instantly you deal with a government shutdown. And we've had these before, but typically during the government shutdown, they don't hit during Christmas time. And therefore, people are at least at wa- in Washington playing parts on C-SPAN, looking like they're working for the American people to re-get, you know, renegotiate to give the government open. Everybody's gone home for Christmas. A lot of these people have finished their terms, and, and the new Congress right. is going to get uh, reinstated early in January. And so this is really probably the messiest-looking government shutdown, even more so than the one in 1994. Uh, Tim, what is this mess? Well, you know, the, the, the mess is everybody thought they had a deal, and, and, and they did. Uh, the senators, or most of them, had already gone home. Uh, they had passed out a clean bill uh, uh, on a continuing resolution unanimously and uh, funding the government until February. They'd done this. How many times have we seen in recent years is pretty much how the government is financially run, and the president apparently signed on to it. But, you know, we we hear that the president started looking at uh, listening to radio hosts like Limbaugh and Laura Ingram and Fox News, Ann Coulter, these people who were – among his most ardent supporters were suddenly calling him everything under the name of the sun, including a traitor and a coward and backing down and this and that and the other and how his presidency was over and how his base would abandon him. And uh, next thing we know, uh, we have Paul Ryan summoned to the White House the morning of the House vote. They have a caucus, and they add the $5 billion in spending for the wall, 
And, of course, it has no chance of passage in the Senate. They couldn't even get 50 votes to vote to vote. (laughs) They got 47 votes and 47 against with Pence casting a tie-breaking vote. And then, of course, you got to have 60 votes to overcome a filibuster. That was (laughs) never going to happen. Mitch McConnell made a speech, sent everybody home until Thursday and there we are. This this uh, may be a lengthy shutdown unless reality just <laughs> rears its ugly head on Trump. Uh, isn't it funny how he was going to take all the blame, said so, on television, in front of the cameras, and now all of a sudden it's the Democrats' fault. <laughs> it's, it's, well, you're yeah, right, yeah. it's a mess. Go ahead, Catherine. You know, the thing... Well, the thing about this is, um, like David, you're a teacher. Tim, you're retired, but you used to you used to work, and I work. Can you imagine? I mean, the the most, the very smallest, or the very least that 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 Congress is supposed to do is provide a budget. Like that's the like the bottom, right? They aren't doing anything else, right? There's not any bills really of any significance happening and they can't even and now they can't even get the budget so you've got the president and congress not doing their job i mean if if i if i had performed that badly in my job i would get fired david if you didn't like go in and teach every day you just like went in and sat at your desk and didn't do anything or or tim when you were working you just went into the office and just sat at your desk and played computer games We'd all get fired, but these guys—they are not doing their jobs, and 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 it's just kind of baffling. And then and now all these, you know, hundreds of thousands of—is um, it hundreds of thousands of government workers are going to suffer because of it, as well mm-hmm. as the people who rely on the services that are provided. Now I know a lot of the government is already funded, so it's the the, the budget is like my friend who works. For the CDC, he's not he's not going to be furloughed or anything. But I just I, I just think in a when you look at the bigger picture, it's like shocking that these people can get away with not doing their jobs. Well, and, and they agree on a lot of stuff. And actually, I think the uh, congressional members and the senators, a lot of the, enough of them agree. Donald Trump realizes that this is the absolute last shot at his wall. Because once Democrats take control of the House, the wall is done. Uh, it's probably already mm. done. But I mean, it, it's. I guess he thinks this is his last chance to, you know, take a stand. And of course, Ann Coulter left him on that, Twitter, and that was really that, the big wake-up call. That is um, the said, problem. You know, think how scary that is. He listens to Ann Coulter and Rush Limbaugh and Sean Hannity more than he listens to James Mattis. Tim, the problem right. oh, yeah. is. The problem is. They had a deal, and he just all of a sudden changed course on the whole Congress with, without so much as a how do you do. You just can't do things like that. You, you, if you got a deal, you got a deal. If he didn't want a deal to start with, he should have said so when he had the cameras in the Oval Office there with Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. Good grief. Oh. Well, in case how that so badly for him. They Sorry, I can't. You're, you're dropping out, David. Well, I was doing pretty we good for a while. Him. Catherine, do you think that that's part of the problem is the fact that um, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer made him look bad, and that's part of the reason he ripped up the deal? I think that might be part of it, but I think um, you, you, you and uh, Tim hit it on the head when you said that he would – I, I think it was more the public, or not public, but the you know Twitter outcry, the Ann Coulter's, the Rush Limbaugh's, the Sean Hannity's. I think those are the um, voices that he's um, more concerned about. He thinks that they represent his base, and I think that's yeah. the people he's worried about. I mean, let's face it; he well, doesn't it, think it, of himself as president ahead. of the United States. He's president of his supporters. And that's and that's pretty scary for any president to feel that way. 
But he's got he's a president with a base of thirty five, thirty seven percent of the American people when you look at his true base. Um, Tim, what's going on with the space strategy? Well, I, I don't know. You know, he he's got it in his head that the base was enough before. Uh, it's not going to be enough this time because some people voted for him and not his base. He also needs to look at the, the battle he's fighting. 59% of the American people oppose that border wall. Uh, it, it's not a popular move to make. Hmm. And so do the experts who are on the ground there. They they, they don't want it. Yeah. They say, and and everybody's telling him, well, not, but he's not listening. That you know this isn't going to solve the the a lot of the problems. A lot of things, a lot of um, drugs and people come in by by other means than across the across the border, across the you know ground border, and they come in through the major um, the major border uh, you know through border channels you know the number of people who actually you know cross the border um illegally and you know like in the middle of the night across a uh a border that this wall would block is is minimal compared to the ones that come through in through you know legitimate border uh security so that's it, true yeah and, and the tunnels you know, and the flights right and the, there's all kinds call. of ways David, you're yeah, still going the, in now on us. I'm sorry, and um trying to fix as it is. Um, well, I think I'm a little better right now. Let's move on to another topic real quick, and then if we can get our guest on the phone here in a second, we'll switch gears real quickly. Um, but this past week in the Atlanta Constitution, uh, it was announced that Georgia would move from electronic voting Back to paper ballots. Now, they hadn't chosen what kind or anything else. We know when Georgia moved to electronic ballots in response to um, Florida in 2000, it was one of the first states to go to um, electronic voting. And, you know, the machines, I'm sure, were – I forgot which year they actually went into effect. It was 2002, 2004. Um, but they um, – are now well over a decade old and having issues and then there's security problems. Um, Catherine, kind of what's your thoughts on this switch back, if you will? Well, I'm not sure that we would call it a switch back. I think it's going to be sort of a combination. It sounds like the most, the most logical solution is going to be sort of a combination. It's going to be an electronic. um, I I mean, one of the solutions they're offering is an electronic, um, device that you make your selections on, and then it prints out a um, a ballot for you to approve, and then I guess you you sign it or something, and you give it back to the poll workers so that there's a you know yeah. a, a way to track the votes if the machines you know break down or whatever. Um, that seems like the um, and I think that's a good solution. I've often I've never been really happy with the electronic machines because it's a one a, it's there's no way to check it right there's no way to to I mean when they talk about recounts it's like well what are they going to recount they're just recounting the same thing that they already counted there's no you know in in accounting we always have we always have two ways of you know you add things up in this in the, from this selection of um data and then you also have another selection of data and you add that up and when they match then you have a then you know that you're you know on the mark but we don't really have that right now there's no way to double check it so i think that's good Uh, the one thing i'm a little concerned about is um how long it's going to take like it seems like it might slow things down polling locations but hopefully they'll they have something in mind for that and we'll flesh it out more in a little bit, but right now our guest is called in. Oh, great. And so we want to welcome back to the Kudzu Vine. No, no problem, Catherine. Um, Lachlan McIntosh. Welcome, Lachlan. Hey, how are you guys doing? Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. Um, yes, well, Lachlan, uh, there's just so many issues to talk about, and, and, I'm, and you've told me this isn't the most important one, so I'm going to be nice to 
Catherine and Tim and let them ask about this if they want to and other things. But I'm going to start off with the presidential primary in 2020. Um, there was a rumor that came out this past week that um, the GOP may not have a presidential primary. Um, you know, of course, you know Donald Trump has no opponents at this point anyway, but it, it seems like it may be a little bit premature just to shut down the concept of a presidential primary to a president that has a approval rating that has been pretty much underwater his entire presidency, unless you believe Rasmussen reports. And even then, he's only break-even. Well, I think what you're pointing out to is the South Carolina Republican Party. And, um, you know, and the first thing they said is, hey, uh, you know, this is kind of the way we do things in South Carolina. We're not a, uh, you know, we're not, we are an early state, and we have been for a good while now, but we're not Iowa and New Hampshire that are going to have a primary, or New Hampshire, rather, they are going to have a primary no matter what. It is kind of tradition that, uh, we, you know, that an incumbent party does not have um, a primary, and maybe not tradition, that may be a strong word. Let's just say it's happened before. Certainly happened on our side. We didn't have a primary in 2012, for instance. Um, saves money. You know, the mistake that they're going to make is that if a John Kasich or uh, or somebody like that runs a serious race against Trump, um, or they've already canceled the primary and Trump, you know, resigns or gets indicted or what have you, then they're just going to look terrible. And it further... You know, it further bonds the Republican Party and Donald Trump together forever and ever and ever. And, uh, you know, I just I know most most Republicans are fine with that. But, you know, I I still think that that's a a real bad mistake and uh, something that, you know, leaders in the party, even at the state level, should be able to understand. But apparently they don't. But in all fairness, that this chairman of the Republican Party, um, I don't really know how to describe him. They have they, they tweet. He has a, a, tw- a Twitter account that repeatedly uh, uh, tweets fake quotes from the founding fathers, <laughs> and the local papers have written several stories <laughs> oh, about yay. it. And they don't care; they don't stop doing it. You know, it's like Thomas Jefferson. You know, liberals shall all burn in hell. Thomas Jefferson, you know, 1780. <laughs> it's absurd, and uh, and they just keep doing it. I mean, they're the they're the craziest of the crazy in the South Carolina Republican Party, and. You know, they they lost a congr- the South Carolina Republicans lost a congressional race out of it, and I think that's just the first things they're going to lose if they don't shape up and get a little more in the in the mainstream of even South Carolina. If you're too far right for South Carolina, that's saying something, you know. Yes, and, and um, you know, it seems like there ought to be like a mechanism, say, with the debate, if if the time of the debate or however long before. And I know it would have to be a longer process because it would be a primary election. But the Democrats will be primary in the same day. Um, so you, if there's no well, we don't, other you know, again, it's not no different. We, didn't, we actually you didn't. didn't okay, well, excuse me. We actually side, didn't yeah. primary the the same day last week, or excuse me, the same day last time. So South Carolina is a little zany, okay. as you would expect. Well, that that seems like a money co- that costs y'all money as a state. If the two parties could at least agree on the same day to hold the primary, um, it would, um, you know, you'd open the polls and the poll workers and all those costs. You could then um, save on cost, which it seems like that's something that both parties would be agree- agreed to because Republicans could say, hey, lower taxes, and Democrats could say, hey, more spending on social services instead of two elections. Right. So there's something for everybody. You and your, but I mean, you and your, you and your common sense. <laughs> but um, but it, then it does seem like also – I mean I agree. If there's no primary candidate for Donald Trump, well, then you may not hold a primary. But you never know when a, a Pat Buchanan is going to jump up like happened in 1992. And if I'm not mistaken, um, South Carolina was pretty pivotal in um, Pat Buchanan uh-huh. actually gaining some steam. So it, it seems like well, actually, we're it, was the other, it was actually It was actually the other way around. It was uh... – it was the state that kind of did Pat Buchanan in. That was back during the yeah. during the Carol Campbell days, and uh, and uh, South Carolina, I think '92 and '96, uh, South Carolina kind of rose for the establishment. Um, but anyway, that's ancient history now. Yeah, but I just remember that was the year in which that you know there was a sitting president that had a primary challenger, and that's not right. often the case, but that's happened. Um, well, let me go ahead and pass it to Catherine and Tim with more questions, but I have a feeling they're not going to ask everything up 
and I'm going to get one more bite of the apple. Catherine? Hey, Lachlan, nice to have you on. Thank you for taking time so early, so soon before Christmas. I hope we didn't aren't getting taking you away from anything important like wrapping uh, presents. I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I get Amazon to do that for me. Um, <laughs> good to be here. <laughs> um, I wanted to add, we, we had a little debate on our, we have a little text group that we text during the week about what's going on, and there was some confusion. I don't know. I was a little confused. I should say I don't know if everybody else was about the rules around primary voting in South Carolina. <laughs> so if I, you 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 may register for a party, but you're not required to. Correct? No, we do not have currently. We do not register by party at all in South Carolina. Oh, were we talking about North Carolina, you guys? Maybe we were talking about. Okay, well then, then, then that. No, that we were talking question. about South Carolina. Yeah, we were talking about South Carolina. Okay, um, so you don't register by party at all. So anybody, yeah. so they're open primaries then. They're open primaries. The 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 prerequisite is that you can only vote one one per cycle. You know, you need, I can vote in the Republican primary and this year, but I got, but but I can't vote in the Democratic primary this year too. So I can right, go vote okay. Democratic next cycle, but I think that those are the only rules. And, 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 and like, frankly, if they were a if they were a presidential primary, uh, I could vote in the Republican if I wanted to. And then if there were a state primary, you know, a few months later, I could vote in Democratic. So it's uh, it's pretty wide open here. Okay. So do you think there's any um, any like there wasn't a Republican primary that some Republicans would move over and vote in the Democratic Party in the Democratic primary. I like to try to sabotage. You know, I I don't think so. Um, you know, that's always been talk um, in the past for both sides, but it's never actually happened. Um, I, I I have a hard time seeing most Republicans in South Carolina showing up at a Democratic primary, no matter what. I'm sure if you would if you would do it, but I think that would I don't think it would be a measurable amount. Would be my opinion based on past history. Okay, and so we we have talked a little bit about the Republican Party in um, South Carolina. How's the Democratic Party doing? Uh, just overall, or concerning the primary? Yeah, just in general. Like, are, are they? You yeah. Know, have, did they did they do a good job during the primary during the recent election? Are they, you know, sure. ready to go for twenty twenty? Well, you know, I, we had a huge win, um, South Carolina Democrats, probably the biggest win we've had in 20 years. Um, we, we picked up a congressional district. We picked up the first congressional district of South Carolina. It was the Mark Sanford seat. Um, it is yeah, the, that the seat that, uh, yeah, it's the Charleston seat. It goes from Charleston down to Beaufort, coastal seat. It's it's exactly the kind of seat that Democrats were picking up all over the all over the country. It is it, it is Republican, or it has been Republican, but it's highly educated. Uh, well to do, and they are the type of Republicans that do not like Donald Trump. And as you as y'all may recall, Mark Sanford was defeated in the primary. You know, Mark Sanford, for all his issues, uh, showed some courage to stand up to Trump and got kicked out of his own party by a, a zealot, a pro-Trump zealot, uh, who a candidate who was very strong for offshore drilling. And the Democrats just had a terrific candidate in Joe Cunningham, who will be our congressman here. In a couple of weeks, and uh, he ran a terrific campaign. He reached across the part of the aisle. Uh, he he did it in a uh, you know he had Republicans in his commercials, uh, Republican elected officials, mayors especially, talking about how they were going to support Joe because they needed someone to fight offshore drilling, and uh, just ran a terrific campaign and won 51 to 49. And uh, you know, like I said, probably the best one South Carolina Democrats have had in 20 years. Now, other than that. Um, we won a state senate seat up in Columbia, but that was about it. You know, the the rest of the state is is uh, is not going, uh, or, or the most of the state isn't going very well. We continue to lose ground. I think that what you're seeing here in South Carolina, where we did do well, are, are the types of places Democrats are doing well everywhere: the cities and the suburbs, um, like like Georgia, like you guys did. Um, yeah. You know, the, the problem is we don't have in Atlanta. Um, our cities aren't as big. So there were certainly some bright spots. The winning a congressional seat was uh, was huge. Well, that's I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's it's a marathon. We always say that, right? It's a marathon. Our, our can, right. <laughs> you know, and our, look, our candidate for governor, uh, James Smith, ran a 
very lackluster campaign, um, which I could write a book about how bad it was. But in the end of the day, he got 46%. He got 46% of the vote, 46% of the vote. And, uh, you know, that's to, to be able to run a pretty bad campaign against an incumbent, uh, and get 46% of the vote, you know, that, that, that shows that we got to keep fighting, you know, we got to keep, right. we got to keep going. And, uh, because, uh, you know we're we're down, but it, we're. I've said this for a long time. South Carolina is a Republican state, but it's not Republican like Idaho. You know, and and as the as things change, um, as as younger voters, as older voters die, and more younger voters get into the system, and as our cities grow, which they are in South Carolina, Charleston's one of the fastest growing cities in the country. Um, things are going to change, and we got to be ready for it. Well, great. I mean, that's, you guys are seeing that, that in Atlanta. All... Think about, think about Georgia. Yeah, absolutely. Think about Georgia. Think about how bleak things looked four years ago with Carter and those yeah, other races, and then how now. It's... I mean, we yeah, we came so close, and we still questions about the election too. So, um, okay. Well, no, I'm great. not. I'm, I'm not the type of person that says that. Oh, sure. You're. I, I'm sorry. I, I think we've got a, a, a kind of a slow connection. I think that we're not quite on the same. But I was going to say that I, I, uh, I. I don't go around saying people stole elections very much. I haven't worked in electoral politics for 20 or 25 years, but um, they stole that race from us in North Carolina, but they got caught that congressional race. But I'm pretty sure they stole the race and the governor's race in Georgia too. I've never seen anything like that. Yeah. Well, (laughs) I think we all feel that way. I'm going to pass it to Tim for the next question. Thanks so much, Lachlan. That was very informative. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Good evening, Lachlan. Uh, thank you for being on with us tonight again. Uh, I wanted to ask you about a couple of your political characters over there in your state. Uh, is sure. either of your U.S. senators having very much to say about the shutdown? You know, I haven't heard uh, either of them either of them say anything, come to think about it. Huh. It doesn't mean they haven't. I may have missed it. Obviously, it's the holidays. Uh, Graham has been more interested in the pullout in Syria and, uh, and you know, how he much he loves war, you know. Um, so he's been he's been vocal about that. But uh, I cannot uh-huh. – I have not read anything from the shutdown. Yeah, well, in all fairness, they could be as shell-shocked as we are right now about it. Uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, with, I, with the way know, it I, went down. Lindsey Graham is really, as y'all know, is a really hard person to figure out. Um, there's definitely been a yeah, – Tim Scott is a is a conservative guy. Um, he's had an interesting life story. I've talked about him a little bit. Uh, I think I said one time on the show a while ago that he was the ultimate benefactor of a – you know, affirmative action, and yet he hates it. But uh, you know, he was he was literally given seats as a black Republican when he first started in politics. Literally handed seats. But there's no question that since he's been in the Senate, I've seen a lot of growth and maturity from him. Um, I think that he is genuinely horrified by Trump on a few matters. I also believe that he, you know, he's been he's one of the co-sponsors of the federal anti-lynching legislation. Um, I think they're dealing with now. I think he's also his eyes are starting to open up a little bit um, uh, as he's been a senator. I think he's formed some friendships with some other senators, other African American senators, and I've seen I've seen a change in him. He's also, on a few occasions, recently spoken out against Trump. So I'm hoping mm-hmm. that he'll be more consistent than than than, than Lindsey Graham, you know, in, in his criticisms. Yeah. Now. Uh, another person I want to ask you about, obviously, is, is Nikki Haley. Um, how, how was her? First of all, how was her resignation from the United States, uh, United Nations, received there in South Carolina? And, and do you have any idea? Have you heard anything about what she might actually do now? Because she's still very young, politically speaking. Sure. You know, I, I think that um, her resignation, I, you know, I, I was taken about like anything else in this administration, just with disbelief um, and quite. And, you know, nobody knows what happened that day. You know, it, was, it, was, uh-huh. it's been, it feels like it's been a year ago, but you know, it was one of those uh-huh. days where. But the first announcement was that she quit or gotten fired, and then the next thing you know, she's at the White House with Trump, and she's going to stay on for a few months. I mean, everything's just bizarre. You know, I think bigger picture wise, I think that. 
you know, I think that she did the best she could in that administration. I think she tried her best. She's a, she's a decent person. She was an okay governor. Um, Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, I just, you know, she, she was completely unqualified uh, for the position she was appointed to, but I think that she did the best that she could. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, look, I think that this, I think the truth is with the sad state of the Republican party in this country, I think that she is definitely somebody who uh, could be seen as, as a potential candidate for president one day soon. You know, if if Trump Mm -hmm. for some reason doesn't run for reelection, I think you could see her get in assuming that he does. I think, you know, she's staying in New York from what I understand. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, my guess is she's going to use her contacts and make a little money. I mean, the truth is, is that she's never been a particularly wealthy person. Um, So, you know, she probably has the ability to do that now. So my guess is she kind of, she may see her every now and then on Fox News or what have you, but I think that that she'll be concentrating on making a little dough. But for now, you don't think there's any electoral future for her in your home state? Not, you know, not not anytime soon. I mean, you know, I, mm-hmm. I imagine Lindsey Lindsey will run for re-election next year, and um, mm-hmm. our next cycle. Got's not up, I don't believe. So, uh, you know, no, I think that I think that she would probably, and like I said, she's not moving back right away. So, mm-hmm. I think she'll go make money for a couple of years and then probably try to run for president or something soon. Yeah, and finally, what what about Mark Sapper? You know, that that was a courageous thing he did in a pro, in opposing Trump and it, it it cost him his seat in Congress. Is his political career over? It it might be, but I don't believe that he sees it that way. Um Uh-huh. I my guess is my guess is nobody was pulling for Joe Cunningham to win that race uh more than Mark Sanford. Um uh huh. I would not be surprised at all to see Sanford run for the Republican nomination oh, wow. um, in two years for the for back for the first congressional district. Now the question is, can he get it or not? Um, is yeah. is the party left him to the point where he's not? He you know he couldn't win a primary over there. I just don't know. But Mark Sanford is a you know been a in politics now for twenty something years. Um, he's very good at it. I you know that's all he's done. Um, for a guy that's talked about the private sector private sector so much he hasn't been in the private sector in nearly 30 years uh, he's been on a government check for a long long time i don't i don't see him giving it up without a fight i definitely think he'll be running again all right thank you for that lachlan and with that i will send it back to david david yes and i'm gonna give him some free advice if he runs he shouldn't run in 2020 he should run in 2022 because you're right um he might not win the primary but if they lose in 2022 joe cuttingham then he might could say, well, you need somebody closer to the middle. That's me. Yeah. And, of course, if Democrats retake mm-hmm. the White House, 2022 will be a much tougher year in um, more persuadable mm-hmm. districts, which I'm sure South Carolina won would be on that list, more so in 2022 under a Democratic president than it might in 2020 with Donald Trump running for re-election. Um, I agree. I think, but, but if, I think if Trump's about, running for re-election. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I want to talk about the city. You had mentioned cities, and you said you know South Carolina didn't have any one city as large as Atlanta, but um, we know what happened in Charleston that that congressional seat flipped. But there's two more cities um, that are of decent size: mm-hmm. your state capital, Columbia, and then Greenville, mm-hmm. which also Greenville has Clemson right next door, um, another decent size city, Anderson. So there's a, met- <coughs> a metropolitan area there. And then actually Columbia has a college town as well as University of South Carolina. How did those two cities um, go Democratic-Republican? Yeah, Columbia is overwhelmingly Democratic now. Um, It always has been a Democratic city, but those margins are also way up. And the county that that Charleston, the city of Charleston is in Charleston County, and Charleston County went you know, voted 60% in the, in the congressional districts that make up Charleston. Uh, or, Richland County is even more Democratic, the city, the, the county Columbia is in. That's not a new thing. Unfortunately, the, the population in Columbia is rising as fast as Charleston. Greenville is, is, is also heading our way. But, but the difference there is Greenville has just been so overwhelmingly Republican for so long. We still lose Greenville, but we don't lose Greenville anywhere near the, the numbers that we used to. And again, Green, the city of Greenville is in Greenville County. Um, the city of Greenville 
is definitely it's not 50 50 yet honestly so absolutely we're seeing the same trends in south carolina that, that they are around the country that educated voters voters that live in cities or near cities um you know voters that are that went to college that are that are making a little bit of money they the people that started the republican party in south carolina literally are the people that are now abandoning it fast hmm. Yes, and that's going to be interesting to see because that's, a, I guess, a diagonal line from north to south across your state. Three largest cities are either going to be Democratic or 50-50. Um, so that's going to – what's the Republican Party then going to do to hold on? Well, you know, the, the, the bleeding hasn't stopped for us yet in the rural areas of the state the, or the exurbs of the state even. Um, for instance, we're, next to Richland County is Lexington County. And Lexington County is a mix of rural and exurb, and that's highly Republican. And Greenville, those little, those small counties uh, in the mountains of South Carolina, that you're talking about, that they've gone from being, you know, 50, 60 percent Republican to 70, 80 percent Republican recently. Um, when I started doing politics in South Carolina, you know, way a Democrat won was kind of a coalition between rural. Uh, white voters and African-American voters. That was your winning coalition, you know, and uh, rural white voters are all, are almost 100% Republican these days, you know, so it's a, it's a kind of a, it's helped us pick up a point or two here this last cycle, the changes, but the, but the changes have a long way to play out before I think we see uh, a lot of benefit to the point where we can really say we're a two party state in South Carolina. Again, I think it's going to happen. I just really want to be alive for it when it does, you know. Slow pro- incrementalism, a slow process then. Yeah, but um, we're definitely seeing a realignment. The realignment is real. Most definitely, mm. and across the country, not just in the South, but uh, pretty much every state. Well, Lachlan, before I let you yeah. go, um, where can people follow you on Twitter, read your writings, um, just anywhere for our listeners to find you? Um. My Twitter is uh, at Lachlan McIntosh, L-A-C-H-L-A-N-M-C-I-N-T-O-S-H, and uh, that is uh, where you'll see my rage tweets when I get mad at Trump. <laughs> and, and, some, <laughs> and some more thoughtful things, too, but sometimes I like to throw insults out at uh, the president when I just can't take it anymore. <laughs> yes, and that's where he throws his rage tweets, too. So um, yeah. uh, you have following that my leader, my dear leader. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Well, keep up your good work in the Palmetto State. And, and I have a feeling between the chief of staff and uh, one of the top three um, Democrats in the House that we didn't even talk about, South Carolina is just going to stay a really a leader in national politics, even though it's one of 50. Well, I think so. And, and it is it is interesting how many uh, South Carolinians have been involved in the Trump administration, but I uh, I think you're right, and with the, I think part of it is the early primary candidates on both sides. They, you know, they, they rely on these folks that get behind the winners early get rewarded. You know, so I think that's some of it. Yes. All right. Thanks again, Lachlan. Okay. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Merry thank you Christmas. sir. Merry Christmas. Good. Bye. Yes, Lachlan McIntosh of the Palmetto State. Always good to have him on. Um, maybe it's something about the weather, the cold weather, but I, I saw what he was saying about us all um, kind of talking different times. Uh, well, Tim, we got about a minute. I'm not even going to put my thoughts in, and I'm sure it's going to be a topic down the road. Um, what's your just your initial thought on um, uh, the ballot system in Georgia? Well, uh, did I not hear that there is to be a test of using paper ballots to be conducted in some municipal elections coming up this year. It, did did I not hear that? I think that, that's right. Or, I think that's yeah. right. That makes sense. Uh, yeah. I, I think we're going to go there eventually, guys. I think clamoring for it, and actually people in both parties in this state are clamoring for it. I, I think we're going to see it happen. Yeah, if it – now, if it were any, Brian Kemp had anything to do with it, and we were partisan elections, we'd find out which ones were easier to lose. If it was easier to lose the paper ones and throw them away, that's what Democrats <laughs> would get. And if it were easier to lose the computer ones, that's what we get. 
Um, but at least if it's municipal elections, I guess it can be a little more um, or less partisan, if you will. I have a feeling more news will come out about this, and we can all talk about our yeah. experiences with punch cards and optical scan and and everything else as we learn more. But I have a feeling since Georgia was one of the leaders going to electronic voting, it, maybe it's going to be a leader in the, the next revision, so it'll be something that affects states across the nation. But everybody yeah, have I a great we're Christmas. We'll see you on the other side. Good night. Good night, guys. Good night, y'all. Good night, everybody. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.